there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they that would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. I want to talk for a few minutes on this subject. Seven things that went on in hell that should be going on in your church, in your Christian life. The longest subject I've ever had. They taught us to have five words or less or something, maybe six, but uh, let, let us pray. Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would touch me from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet, from the bottom of my heart to the depths of my soul. Let the ever-flowing power of the Holy Ghost freely flow through this vessel that makes preaching and teaching and comforting and confronting and consoling and encouraging and nurturing and shepherding easy and effective. I pray that you would deal with our heads, the cognitive, the intellect, the reasoning. You said, come let us reason together. Oh my God, in the name of Jesus, but don't stop at our heads, deal with our hearts. Let us draw now with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from medieval conscience, washing our body with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for you're faithful that promise, creating us a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within us. But don't stop at our heads and our hearts, but deal with our hands, the hands of the gospel, our behavior. You said whatsoever our hands find to do, do it all in the name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus, not to just be doer, hearers of the word only, but doers of the word, doers of the work, and that man and that woman shall be blessed. So I pray right now that we will be doers of your word and your will, that you might be able to say one day, well done, 
thy good and faithful servants. You've been faithful over a few things. I make you ruler over many. Let the church say amen. We do give honor to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd and bishop of our soul, to all the elders, everyone in Kenneth Square, pastor in his absence, and uh, of course my wife, my dear wife, Dr. James. Um, I praise God for her. We just had a wedding anniversary of 36 years, and I just bless God for her. Yes. And she, had, she married a boy who has now become a man. <laughs> we... I want you, before I start, and I'm getting ready to start, <clears throat> to be mindful that we're on live stream and YouTube, so I'm talking to the whole church world. So just be mindful of that, so uh, don't take it personal. I just wanted to give you a little precursor, preamble, a disclaimer. The devil has deviously devised a damnable plan to deceive people, especially in the 21st century, into being desensitized to or doubting the reality of a literal place called hell. He is no doubt the behind-the-scenes producer and director of Hollywood's TV shows, movies, games, books, and even a clothing line about hell. TV shows called Hell's Kitchen and Hell's Kitchen have a clothing line entitled Hell's Kitchen. Hell's on Wheels series, one of their shows is All Roads Lead to Hell. There is another TV show called A Taste of Hell. Then they have movies about hell. Uh, Medea's Neighbors from Hell. Why? Because they were born to raise hell. Drag me to hell, straight to hell, hell date, and motel hell. Then they have video games about hell. Hell is set in agony itself, escaping from hell. They even have books about hell. New York Times bestseller, I hope they serve beer in hell. Then they have a book called Holidays in Hell. How many of you know there's no holidays in hell? Hollywood and even some religious theologians, scholars, and denominations have teamed up with hell to convince people that hell is not real. But the devil is a liar, and every man is a liar, and God's word is true. Hell is real. See, to deny and discredit hell is to deny and discredit God himself who made hell. Mm. Hell is not a figment of the imagination. Hell is not an imaginative place. Hell is a reality. It's a place that people are already in and people are definitely going to. Dr. James, why is the devil and his de demons deceiving and using others as agents to deceive people into believing that hell is not a real, literal place? I'm glad you asked. 
because Jesus said hell was made for the devil and his angels and they desperately want you to go to hell with them. You see, if I had time and time won't allow me, I, I would paint the picture and describe to you from these three passages, Ezekiel 28, 11 through 17, Isaiah 14, 12 through 17, and Revelations 12, 1 through 7, 17, show and tell us of the account of the fall of the angel Lucifer and his angels. So time will allow me to describe the three passages, how the devil and his angels were kicked out of heaven, but because they were kicked out, cast out of heaven, and are destined to go to hell, they want people to go to hell with them. And people have gone and are going. The Bible lets us know in Isaiah 5 and 14 that hell have enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure, and their multitude shall descend into it. This is why there are two places I do not want to go. One is in this life, and one is in the afterlife. In this life, I don't want to go to jail. I'm jail scared. I mean, I'm a former boxer. I grew up in the streets. I can take care of myself, but I like my freedom. <clears throat> and in the afterlife, I don't want to go to hell. I am hell scared. Why? Because the H in hell stands for hot. The E in st hell stands for evil, and the first L stands for low, and the second lonely. Hell is hot. Hell is evil. Hell is low, and hell is lonely. Hell is not a tourist attraction, but it's a place of lament and torment. It's a place of eternal condemnation and damnation. I assure you, it's not a vacation. There is no iced tea. There is no Coca-Cola. There is no wine coolers. There is no beer. There is no McDonald's Frosties in hell. There is no air conditioners. There is no summer breeze that make you feel fine in hell. My God, there are no fire escapes from the eternal fire of hell. The Bible says, how shall you escape if you neglect so great a salvation? Time won't allow me to elaborate on that, but I must move on. Many people in the church are going to hell for several other reasons. But one of the reasons they're going to hell is for the same reason the Pharisees were going. See, I can't give you the background about this story because I need to deal with you today because the Spirit of God, the Word of God, is instructing me to be specific to the church world. But the Bible lets us know that the Pharisees were a strict uh, they're going to hell for the same reasons the Pharisees were going to hell. Excuse me. The Pharisees were a strict sectarian religious group that were stubborn, self-centered, sinful, and set in their ways. Neither scriptures, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost could persuade them to both, listen to this, come to Christ, live for Christ, Christ's way. The Pharisees' hearts were helplessly hardened, and this is why they were on their way to an eternal hell. This morning, I want to use Luke 16, 19 to 31 to challenge the church, to encourage the church not to helplessly harden your hearts like the Pharisees and die and go to hell and then try to do these seven things that the church-going pharisaical rich man tried to do in hell that 
as he should have been doing in his everyday life and in his ministry inside the church and outside the four walls of the church in his lifetime. My wife trying to tell me to get this mic closer. Can you give me a little bit more then? In his lifetime, while on earth, church, you need to do these seven things that went on in hell in your everyday life and in your ministry inside the church and outside the church walls of your church for God and his kingdom in your lifetime in the earth now. You got to be in a rush. We got to take our time and hurry up. We must work the works of him that sent us while it's day for night cometh when no man can work. That's why my theme is seven things that went on in hell that should be going on in the church. The first thing that went on in hell that should be going on in the church is vision. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments and seeth, seeth, seeth with his inner man, spiritual man, because you know the body go to the grave, don't have time to elaborate on that, I wish I did, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom, bosom, vision, many uh, church folks and churches don't have vision, they have division, Division between the teaching elders, the ruling elders, the pastor, the sessions, the deacons and musicians. Another reason why churches have no vision is because of the seven last dying words of the church. Now, we know Jesus had the seven last dying words on the cross. But the seven last dying words of many of these churches is we never did it that way before. And we can tell because your church is dead, twice plucked up by the roots. Jesus said, you have a name that you live it, but you're dead to the Sardis church. I preached a message one time called the autopsy of a dead church. If anybody know it, when you go down to the morgue and somebody's dying, they get ready to do an autopsy on you. They cut you in a Y shape. Why are you dead, church? I'm not talking to Kenneth Square. I'm talking to the church where I told you. I told you. I told you. <laughs> it's a, you know, I have a saying. The church has been doing church wrong for so long. People are saying so long. You know, you, you know your church is, oh, let me be nice. You know your church is too formal when if, you, if a member missed church and they know everything you're doing, okay, they're praying. They read in the scripture. I mean, it's good to have a, a protocol, but some people have so much protocol, you don't know who to call <laughs> at all. I mean, is the Holy Spirit in charge or what? Ooh, I, uh, I'm not going to mess with you. I got the role. <laughs> Woo, my God. The, these churches, oh, Lord. Y'all got to remember, I come from the street. I didn't grow up in the church. So I'm like, wow. I'm seeing it from a ranked sinner's perspective when I come in the church. And most churches don't know how to treat sinners, ranked sinners. I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave that alone. That's another message. Yeah, that's another message. Oof. Oof. Mm, got to roll. Got to roll. 
Without a vision, the people perish. See, you got to understand something. Your mission is why you exist and whom you aim to serve. Your vision is how you're going to accomplish your mission. You as a Christian and as a church should be able to articulate your mission and vision in a sentence. I am to be a Christian disciple making kingdom building pastor, preacher, teacher, trainer, the, trainer, theologian. That's my mission. That's why I exist and who I aim to serve. My vision is to accomplish the mission through the cultural mandate. Genesis 1, 26 and through 29. And the evangelistic mandate. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You should be able to tell people your mission and vision. Why should they come to your church? Why should they follow you when you don't know where you're going? The Bible says the blind lead the blind and they all, mm, all will fall in a ditch. <clears throat> so the Bible says write the vision and make it plain so he or she that readeth may run. Christians, churches, uh, your vision should be, watch this, clear, concise, concrete, Christ-centered so people can comprehend it, commit to it in their heart, and carry it out with their hands. It's called the head, heart, and hands of the gospel. Church, you need to get your vision back. My God, Isaiah, the eagle-eyed prophet, you hear that? The eagle-eyed prophet got his vision back. The Bible says, Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, you have to understand, in Isaiah days, they looked at King Uzziah as a messiah, but when he died, the Bible says that Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple and the seraphims had with covered their eyes with twain they covered their eyes and with twain they covered their feet and with twain they flied and they cried holy, holy, holy Father, Son and Holy Ghost my God, the church need to get his vision back, you need to see the Lord. Too many people in the church are seeing their mother as their Messiah, their father as their Messiah, their degrees, their bank account, their status as their Messiah. But you need to see the Lord. Mm. That'll preach. Give the Lord a hand clap. That'll, that'll preach, but I got to move. So the church needs to have their vision. Mm. I usually say this at the end, but don't let hell outdo you. We're the church. Jesus said, the, upon this rock I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The second thing that I have that should be going on in the church is mercy. Mercy. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy. The church needs to show mercy. See, being merciful is showing mercy, love, kindness, and forgiveness in, even when people do not deserve it. I'm talking to the church right again. Church folks are that call themselves Christians are some of the most merciless people on God's planet. Jesus said in Matthew 18, as he was telling the parable of the unmerciful and unforgiving servant who was in debt himself, he said, now listen, there was a king one time who had servants and he called them to be in accountability to pay him back what he owed. And one of the servants owed him millions and millions of dollars. And he said, it's time for you to pay your debt he said, uh, King, please forgive me. Please have mercy on me. See, the king was going to sell him, his family, his wife, his children, and everything he had to pay the debt. 
But he said, king, have mercy on me. So the king had mercy and forgave him of his debt. But that same servant went out to collect his debts from other servants. And the guy only owed him thousands of dollars. And he took him by the throat and said, pay me what you owe. He said, man, have mercy on me. I'll do the best I can. Give me a chance to pay the debt. But he threw him in jail, so he in torment, so that he might pay his debt. And the servants of the king said, told on the guy. He said, listen, I, I, told, I, get, I had mercy on you. And I forgave you of your debt. You wicked and unmerciful servant. Why didn't you forgive the guy that owed you a thousands of dollars? You owed me millions and I forgave you. He said, throw him in jail to the tormentors until he paid a debt. And Jesus said, that's the same way the father is going to do you. If you don't have mercy and if you don't forgive people from your heart, God's going to throw you in hell. That's what Jesus was saying. That's why the Bible says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Church, you need to start your mercy mission right now. You need to have mercy. Fine, you want to give to the homeless, you want to feed the people in the shelter, but we need to learn how to treat each other. You need to have mercy. Moving right along. The third thing that went on in hell that should be going on in the church is thirst. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool his tongue. Church folks are thirsty. They are thirsty for tangeray, vodka and gin and rum and wine coolers. They're thirsty. Taught my son Jesus drunk wine. See, but you got to understand something. There's a difference between Jesus drinking wine and many of these church folks drinking wine. See, when Jesus drunk wine, he raised the dead. When we drink wine, we raise hell. Jesus told the woman at the well, well, he said, whosoever drinketh from this well, Jacob well, shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water I give him will be in them a well of living water springing up unto everlasting. The songwriter said he's a well of living water in my soul. Anybody thirsty? My God, the psalmist said... Uh, Mm. As the deer panteth after the water brook, so doth my soul panteth after thee, O Lord. Anybody in here know Jesus satisfies the longing soul and he fills our hearts with good things. Jesus said it shall be a well of living water springing up into everlasting to everlasting. I heard what Jesus said. Jesus said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Anybody in here thirsty for the things of God, the word of God, the spirit of God, the fruit of the spirit, doing the will of God. Mm, 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 mm. Oh, my God. Clap your hands and tell the Lord, thank you. I'm trying to behave myself. Woo! About to leap out my shoes. Mm. God, you got to help me. Mm. So the four, I got the role. The fourth thing that went on in hell that should be going on in the church is prayer. He said, I pray thee therefore, I beg thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. Mm. You see, prayer is conversational communion with God the Father by way of God the Son, whoever lives at the right hand of the Father as our priestly 
priests making intercession for us. Some of you are calling. Thank God for prayer partners, but you call on your mother. You call on your father and your friends too much. You need to call on Jesus. The Bible lets us know that the Son and the Holy Spirit are our prayer partners. Don't get no greater than that. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. He ever liveth to make intercession for you. Not only does Jesus, but the Holy Ghost helps our conversational communion with the Father. It is by and through him. The Bible says in Acts 28 and 26 to 28, likewise, the Spirit help of our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we are. But the Spirit maketh intercessions for the saints of God, and he, he searches the heart, because he know what is the mind of the Spirit, for he maketh intercession for the saints of God. Watch this, according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit and Jesus will help you pray the will of God. And to pray the will of God is to pray the word of God. You got to give God his word back. You have to pray his word. Time won't allow me to elaborate on that. But the Bible lets us know for the saints according to the will of God, not sinners, not sinners. Why? Because in John 9:31, it says, now we know God does not hear sinners. The only thing God hears from sinners is to repent and get saved. But in terms of a covenantal relationship, he does not hear sinners, but he, but he listens to godly, the godly person, the godly worshiper who does his will. That's John 9, 31. Many people, and perhaps some of you, call yourselves the people of God are not doing the will of God because you're way out of the will of God. And I'm talking to the church world, but let me tell you how to get back in the will of God. I heard the uh, God tell the man of God, he said, listen, Solomon, if my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive them of their sins and heal the land. Kenneth Square, this land is sick. The United States is sick. North America, South America, Asia, Africa, Antarctica, the seven continents are sick. Dr. James, how are they sick? They sin sick. My God, we got alcohol abuse, sex abuse, sex trafficking, drug addicts and drug dealers. My God, we got the carjackings and road rages. It's a mad, mad, mad world. The world is sin sick, but I heard the Isaiah, the eagle-eyed prophet say, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes, we're healed in our body, healed in our spirit, healed in our soul, and every which way made whole. If we just apply the word. Young people say Jesus is the bomb. He really is the bomb in Gilead. Come on and clap your hands and tell the Lord thank you. The Son of Man shall rise with healing in his wings. If you want to be healed from a pornography and idolatry and adultery and arrogance and atheism and agnosticism, just come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus right now. Mm, I got the move. Woo, I got the move. That'll preach. 
Oh, where was I? Ooh, the church, the church, the church, the church, your prayer life, your prayer life, your prayer life, prayer life. Get your prayer life back. Pray, pray, pray. If you don't pray, you won't stay. If you won't fast, you won't last. If you don't read, you won't take heed. My God, help us, God. The fifth thing that went on in hell that should be going on in the church is uh, testify. For I have five brothers that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Now he wants somebody to testify. He's trying to be an evangelist. It's too late. It's too late. Many of you have allowed your personal trials and tests and tribulations and troubles to cause you to stop testifying of the goodness of the Lord. But if you're going to start testifying again, you're going to have to be like the Apostle Paul who said, I know. Listen, Paul said, listen, now I know I'm going to jail and I'm going to suffer afflictions. Right? Because all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I know I'm going to suffer affliction in the city after city. But the Holy Ghost uh, uh, told me, he said, listen, but because I'm being compelled by the Holy Ghost to face jail time and tribulation, Paul said, none of these things move me. The LGBTQ community don't intimidate me. The Islamic world don't intimidate me. None of these things move me. If I have to go to jail for Jesus, I'm going to jail. My God, I I know it got quiet. Mm -hmm, That's heavy. Right, none of these things move me, for my life is worth nothing to me unless I, with joy, finish the race, complete the ministry that the Lord has given me, watch this, which is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The Bible says in Revelations 12 and 11, for we overcome the world, the enemy, the the devil, the flesh, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimonies, and we love not our lives unto the death. The devil is a liar. You got to get your testimony back. Mm. I know that's heavy. But it needs to be said. The sixth thing that went on in hell that should be going on in the church is repentance. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. The rich man said, no, Father Abraham. But if someone go to them from the dead, they will repent. You see, the Greek word for repent is metanoia. It means a change of mind and behavior. See, there are five stages of repentance that God has given me that you can repent from anything. Ageism, sexism, classism, racism, all the isms and schisms, idolatry, adultery. I don't care what you say, what you're dealing with, what you're trying to overcome, you can repent for them. See, a lot of times the church have these cute antidotes. They say, get it from the uh, root up to the fruit up and you'll be all right. But no, 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 no. We got to start at the seed. See, the first stage of repentance is the seed of repentance. Why? Because you are the seed of God. You have his sperma, his nature, spiritually speaking. Sperma is really literally in the text. 1 John 3, 4 through 10. You have to read it. You have the sperma of God. See, the Bible says whosoever born of God does not sin or for his seed remains in him and he cannot because he has been born of God. In other words, we all fall short of the glory of God. What John is talking about is he's not talking to people who's trying to overcome their sins and struggles. 
struggles. After all, we spend our adulthood trying to get over our childhood. So a lot of things we're trying to get delivered from and sanctified and we're fighting through it, fasting and praying, depending on the word of God and the spirit of God and our obedience to them to get delivered. But John is talking about these people in the text who justifies their sin and are arrogant and dare God to say anything or the church to say anything about their sin. He said those are children of the devil. I'm paraphrasing. If you want to look at it later, again, that's 1 John 3, 4 through 10. He said, listen, whoever is born of God, like father, like son and daughter, got the nature of God. In other words, when you fall into a sin, you got to do like the prodigal son. You got to say to say to yourself, look, I will arise. This not me. I'm a child of God. I ain't supposed to be shacking up in this relationship. So you got to start with the seed. Now, if I had time, I would talk about Jesus as the seed of the woman. You see where would that would go? He is the seed. So you got to replace it. You got to repent. It starts with the seed. Then the second stage of repentance is a root. See, the root of repentance is godly sorrow, godly sorrow for sin. See, you got to see sin as God sees sin. Sin breaks God's heart, so it should break your heart. If you see sin as God sees sin, if you see God as God sees God, God is holy. And he said, church, be holy, for I am the Lord your God am holy. Many people in the church, I hate to say it, but it's the truth, are steeped in pornography and doing all kinds of ungodly things. And now that we have such access to social media, you're going to have to see sin as God sees sin. You're going to have to be godly sorrow, working for repentance, not to be repentant of, not because you got caught, but because you love God so much. Most people in the church that are legalistic anyway see God as just judge that as soon as I do something, he's going to get me. But no, the attitude is God first loved me and I love him and he loved me so much. I don't want to do anything that hurt him. And that's the attitude you should take. So you got to be godly sorrow, godly. Then the third stage of repentance is substance. The substance of repentance, uh, the substance, the manifestation of repentance is to turn away from that sin. My God. And then fourthly, the goal of repentance is to turn towards God for a life of righteousness in that area that you're struggling with to overcome, saints. Then the fifth stage of repentance is the fruit, the fruit fruit of repentance. In other words, your life shows you change your mind and your behavior. Jesus said in Matthew 3 and 8, bring forth therefore fruit, meat for repentance. The New Living Translation says, listen, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. So the church needs to repent. The seventh thing that went on in hell that should be going on in the church is fire. The man said, I'm on fire. I'm tormented in this flame. The man was on fire. But many of our church folks are cold. My God, the lay members in the pews are cold. The preachers are cold. The leaders are cold. We got cold deacons and cold teaching elders and cold ruling elders and cold Sunday school teachers and cold preaching and cold singing and cold musicians. The church needs to get its 
fire back. Why? Because fire is twofold. Fire is twofold. Fire burns. It burns up the sin in our lives and get rid of the dross. Then fire kindles. Fire lights. Fire ignites. Fire excites. It sets our soul on fire. John the Baptist said it this way. This way I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But one mightier than I cometh after me, though whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. My God, he said, whose fan, whose winnowing fork is in his hand, and he shall thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat unto the garner, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. In other words, uh, the, 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 the farmer, he separates the wheat from the chaff. The chaff goes uh, and burns, uh, but the wheat he gathers in the storehouse. The uh, psalmist said in Psalm 50, God said, if I were hungry, would you be able to feed me? Are you Wheaties to God? Are you edible to God? Or are you lukewarm? He, and he has to spool you out of his mouth. Do you make God sick? Or do you satisfy God's hunger for fellowship and love and companionship with you? My God, huh? Jesus said, go to Jerusalem to the disciples. Go to Jerusalem and tarry until you be endowed with power from on high. The Bible says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound, a rushing mighty wind. My God. God and they will fill with the Holy Ghost and, and tongues as a fire and spake with tongues as the Spirit of God give utterance. Uh, let me close with this. When the Lord's church, uh, when your home church gets its fire back, when Kenneth Square Church catch on fire, somebody is going to call 911 and tell the responders that the church is on fire and the responder going to ask is everybody out the building and I can use my holy imagination nation. Uh, the person that called 911 said, no, everybody's not out the building. Why is everybody not out the building? Didn't they run out the building because it was on fire? No, the church is on fire. What do you mean? The church is the building. The, the church is, the people are the church. Uh, the people are the church. The church is on fire. Not the building, but the people in the church is on fire. The pastors is on fire. The elders are on fire. The Sunday school teachers the musicians are all on fire and the sinners in Kenneth Square Community Church are being drawn to the church why because fire draws Jesus said if I be lifted up from the earth I will draw all men unto me and when a church is on fire they will lift up Jesus and when Jesus is lifted up by a church that's on fire I mean Holy Ghost fire they will draw sinners to salvation. A church that's on fire will draw the drug dealer and the drug addict to salvation. A church that's on fire will draw the unsaved, the rich and poor to salvation. A church that's on fire for Jesus will draw the atheist and the agnostic to salvation. A church that is on fire for Jesus will draw their unsaved families to salvation. A church that lifts up Jesus and that is on 
on fire for Jesus will draw all kinds of unsaved men to Jesus. Asian men and African men and European men and Latin men and African American men to salvation. But it will only happen by the church being on fire. Come on, clap your hands and tell the Lord thank you. Seven things that went on in hell that should, really must, be going on in your church. Now, I'll close with this. Seven things. Seven things. If you're not doing at least one of these things, one of the two, two of the two, three of the three, four of the four, you get it, five of the five, six of the, then you need prayer. Let us pray. Lift your hands if that's you. You say, Dr. James, I'm, I need to get my vision back. I need to get my mercy back, my, my thirst, my prayer, my testimony. I need to repent of some things, and I need the fire. If that's you, lift your hands. That, you know, and if it wasn't, how come the, the cities, the suburbs, the countries, and the condition that it's in? If the church was really doing these seven things, why is the church in the condition that it's in? You have to ask yourself. It's getting worse. Father, let's, Father, in the precious name of Jesus, I pray for us, the church, including myself right now. I ask that you will forgive us for our sinful thoughts, words, and deeds. I pray, Lord, that we will get in our places and be on fire and be and do what you call us to be and do. Because you and I know that when we're being and doing what you called us to be and do, it's a win, win, win situation. God and the kingdom win, others win, and we win. So God, forgive us, and may we get back to these seven things. Now, I pray the prayer of faith, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead that is invested in us. We exercise it in faith. Nothing wavering, nothing doubtful. We receive the manifold blessings of God naturally, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, namely, holistically and completely, but specifically covenantally. Lord, save us for your name's sake, according to Psalm 106 and 8, that your power may be known in the earth. Let people see our vision, our thirst, our mercy, our fire, our all of it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Thank God. Clap your hands and say amen.